And floorboards to shingles. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Pick up the phone, give us a call right now. We are standing by to help you tackle your home improvement project, but you should help yourself first by picking up the phone and calling us at 1 888 Money Pit, 888-666-3974. Well, the big game is upon us. Super Bowl 46 is just about to begin. And unless you're lucky enough to make it to Indianapolis, the best way to see the action is with a beautiful big flat screen TV, which I think is far cheaper than the cost of Super Bowl tickets. So if you need to make that (laughs) argument to your spouse, you could sort of do the math and it it could work out for you. Uh, But if you do convince her or him that a flat screen is a must-have, of the big game. This hour, we're going to have some installation tips to help make sure that you can mount it securely and be sure to hide the wires just in time for the big required Super Bowl party. That's right. Now, if you live in a colder climate, you probably know one of those ugly sides of ice and snow. That's when it freezes you into your home. This hour, we're going to have tips to help you free up frozen stuck doors and more. And you might love your vinyl siding because of how durable it is, but it's not infallible. And with winter winds, it can become quickly loose. We're going to tell you how to fix that easily and inexpensively. And we're giving away a prize this hour that can turn your shower into a spa experience. It's a Lavaqua one-touch digital shower head, and it's got four different spray settings that you can change with just a touch. It's worth $90. And it's going out to one caller who picks up the phone and calls us with their home improvement question this hour at one eight 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 Money Pit 888-666-3974. Let's get right to those calls. Leslie, who's first? Andrew in Idaho is on the line needing some ways to soundproof a room. Tell us what room. What's going on? Hi, Tom. Hi, Leslie. Hey. Hi. I'm having some problems. I've got four roommates. They're, we're all friends. <laughs> and you want to stay that way. Now. <laughs> yeah. And I just got a new job. I work at 3 a.m. in the morning. Oh, man. A lot of them stay up till 3 a.m. in the morning. And okay. I was just wondering if there was any quick and efficient ways I can soundproof say my bedroom to be able to sleep at night yeah now where is your room in relation to the noise are you like at the end of the hall or anything like that or tell us about it we've got three steps there's three different levels okay and i'm in the tallest level you walk down a flight of stairs they're mostly in the living room and then Mm -hmm. if you take another corner from going down those stairs you'll go into their rooms okay so sound transmits as you know pretty quickly and pretty aggressively if you want to quiet it in your room and you're willing to do a little bit of work you can make it a lot softer by improving the walls. There um, are a couple of ways to do this. One way is to use a product called Green Glue, where you essentially put the glue on the walls and then put a second layer of drywall on top of that. And that second layer with the green glue in between sort of isolates it. That said, it's expensive because you need two tubes of green glue for every 4 by 8 sheet of drywall. And we're talking about these big, like, big tubes, not the little caulk tubes, the ones that are humongous. And so you put a lot of green glue and a lot of drywall. Of course, you've got a spackle, you've got to paint, you've got to do all that. That's the first way to do it. The second way to do it is to use a product called Quiet Rock, which is kind of like a laminated drywall that already has the, the glue sort of in it and whatever else they do to stop sound transmission. 
And again, with that, you put a second layer on your existing walls. And the Quiet Rock is about, what, 35 40 bucks a sheet, Leslie, something yeah, like that? Yeah, I mean, it's pricey, but it does the trick. Andrew, right. are you renting? It's kind of hard to explain. <laughs> one, of, one of the couples just got married, and they bought this house. Okay. And they're, I'm renting the room, technically. How do you feel about improving their house, even though you're a renter? Uh they're they're fine with it because they're wanting to do okay. the same thing for their room. So yeah, <laughs> for the green glue, do we have to worry about texture? No, well no, that no, goes it's all in between. between the two sheets of drywall. Right, it sort of acts as the sound barrier behind that new sheet of drywall that you're putting on. If you go with the Quiet Rock, which is the second option, you don't need that green glue, but you are adding a second layer of drywall. Right now, there's one other important thing I have to mention, Andrew, and that's this. To technically to soundproof a room, you really need to get to the um, electrical boxes and other penetrations of the wall from behind it, from the inside. And, of course, that's impossible to do in a finished house. So even though you're going to quiet it, you're not going to do as good a job as you could because if the wall was wide open, you'd go from the backside and you would be wrapping the electrical boxes. They're special, almost like a clay-like uh, kind of a material that you press around the box with the quiet rock that seals in all of those gap so that no sound gets through there. So you can't do everything, but you can do a pretty good job. Okay. Yeah, we were just wanting to do a little bit of changing just so people talking in the living room and mm -hmm. stuff, it won't come into the bedrooms. Well, I mean, unfortunately, it's not a simple fix. It's basically taking all your stuff out of your room and re-drywalling the whole thing. You can put heavy drapes up. You can put carpets on the walls. I mean, like hang like wall coverings, things like that. That will soften it, like from a decor perspective. But, but realistically... not going to do what you really want it to do. Right. Well, I will definitely look into that green glue. I do have some sheetrock experience. All right. Well, then maybe it's a good project for you. It's either that or earplugs, my friend, okay? All righty. Thank All you, right. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Amy in Michigan's on the line with a condensation question. How can we help you? I live in a house that's about 15 years old, and every winter I have the same problem. I've been here for three years, but I have condensation on the inside of my windows. I think they're pretty decent windows. I know when we had the home inspection, the guy said these are really good windows. Um, just wondering what I can do to control it. Now, when you're talking about this, this is in your living room, you're saying? It's actually in just about every room of the house. It's worse in my bedrooms. Um, and it's gotten, it seems like it's getting worse in other areas of the house. Well, the reason that your windows condense, Adrian, is because they're not insulated properly. I'm going to presume that they're thermal pane windows. Is that correct? They are. They're thermal pane windows, but they're not very good thermal panes because the windows are super cold. So what happens is when the warm, moist air inside your house strikes them, it condenses. So what can you do at this point in time short of replacing the windows? You could take some steps to try to reduce the volume of moisture that's inside the house. Mm -hmm. This might okay. include taking a look to make sure that your outside drainage is done properly so that you're not collecting water. Do you have a basement? We do. Okay, so you want to make sure that you have gutters on the house, downspouts that are clean, downspouts that are extended away, soil that's sloping away from the walls, that sort of thing reduces soil moisture. Dehumidification in the basement can help. Mm -hmm. um, you can either do it with a portable or a whole house dehumidifier. Depending on your heating system. Making right. sure that your bath fans are exhausted outside, making sure that your kitchen rain shut is exhausted outside. Um, those are the sorts of things that will reduce the volume of humidity in the house. But I think until you get better quality windows in there that are 
that are better insulated, you're still going to continue to have this at, to some degree because it's just sort of the nature of the beast. If it's really cold outside and it's really warm and moist inside, sure. that condensation is going to form the same way it happens in the summer when you go outside with a, a glass of ice water and you get, you get uh, droplets on the outside. It's just the nature of the condensation. Why does it um, seem worse when I have the blinds drawn? Are the blinds down and closed? And then there's more condensation on the windows. Because the, the, the windows are probably colder when the blinds are down. The warm air inside the house is not getting to the glasses readily. So the windows are probably a little colder when the blinds down. You have less uh, air circulation across it, so you're not drying off some of that moisture probably as quickly as oh. you would have. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So do what you can to reduce the amount of humidity inside the house and then keep an eye on them. But I think eventually you're going to want to think about replacing your windows. And you can do that in stages. Start on the north side first because that's going to be the coldest side of the house and the side that will give you the best return on investment. You are tuned to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show on air and online at moneypit.com. Now you can call in your home repair or your home improvement question 24 hours a day, seven days a week at one eight 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 Money Pit. 888-666-3974. Up next, have you ever found yourself stuck in your own garage thanks to a winter blast of Arctic air? We're going to tell you the best way to release your car and yourself from the trap of a frozen garage door next. This is Jeopardy. Uh, I'll take a ways to lose money, 1000 This phrase for a house that keeps needing costly repairs is also the name of a home improvement radio show. Alex. What is a money pit? Good. The Money Pit is brought to you by Stanley Tools, your trusted name in quality hand tools. To learn more about their complete line of quality tools and everything for your toolbox, visit stanleytools.com. Making good homes better. Welcome back to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show on air and online at moneypit.com. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. And the number to call is 888-MONEY-PIT. One caller that makes that call this hour might just win the one-touch digital showerhead from Lavacqua. It's a showerhead that installs in minutes and lets you program timer settings, choose your water spray, and even select an eco option to save water all while you get yourself nice, squeaky clean. So give us a call to get the answer to your question and your chance to win at 888-666-3974. Stephen, Kentucky's on the line with a roofing question. Tell us what's going on. Hi, Leslie. Well, I've got a little 1930s, uh, early 30s farmhouse uh, okay. that we're restoring and, and trying to uh, get a little environmental project going up there. And um, we um, have a couple of leaks. Uh, we've, we've had a record rainfall down here in Louisville. Uh, this last year, and we noticed that when it's a really hard rain out of the west, that um, along the seams of the old tin roof, uh, we we get, well, it's like a wetness, and then it turns into a drip in different locations. And I'm just wondering what's the proper way to, to seal something like that up um, where we don't have to you know pull the whole roof to, to get it. Now, what kind of tin roof do you have? Is it a flat seam or metal roof, or is it a standing seam metal roof? It's a standing seam metal roof. Okay, and has it ever been covered with tar or anything like that to try to seal it? No, up? it's still the original tin. Okay. It so, has a little paint on it. 
Right. I mean, that's a good thing because typically the way you fix those is you solder them. And to do that, you have to strip the paint off, identify the sort of worn out area. There's probably a worn out, cracked, rusted out area, and the repair would be to solder it. And that's actually a good thing, Steve, because if you solder it, it's sort of a lifetime repair. What happens with these too many of these metal roofs, though, is that folks don't want to take sort of the long approach to this repair, and they will cover it with tar or caulk or something of that nature. And in doing so, eventually the water gets underneath that, and then it's seriously rusted out pretty quickly. So the secret to success here is to try to find somebody who's been around long enough that knows how to resolder a metal roof, and that will fix it permanently. Okay. And I'm assuming that that's probably some specialized tools then. Well, just the right just the right size torches and solder and all that sort of thing. Yeah, but the guys that do metal roofs have those tools. Great. And is that, I guess, uh, maybe, maybe I ought to go up there with them. If I can get them to fix it, I'll watch and, and learn a little bit. Yeah, well, then um, you'd be able to do it yourself next time, right? Maybe so. Maybe so. Well, I appreciate uh, the, the advice, and I'll, I'll look along that path. And uh, just want to let you know that we really enjoy your old show down here in Louisville. Well, thank you so very much, and, and good luck with that project. Remember, when you're working with that, uh, with that heat up in that roof, too, that there's a fire hazard associated with this repair, too. So just make sure that you're super, super careful. Okay, Steve? We don't want you to call us back and ask us how to rebuild the building as the next call, okay? <laughs> I think I'll put somebody with, with a, a fire extinguisher in the attic, and uh, we'll do it on a cool spring day. Thanks for calling the Money Pit. Well, storing your car in a garage can help keep it frost-free, but the same can't be said for garage doors that often become stuck in super cold weather, trapping you and your car inside if you find yourself frozen in. This is what you got to do. First, you really just need to try to adjust the pressure setting on your door opener. You know, a little extra pressure might just be exactly what you need to dislodge it from the ice. If that doesn't work, disconnect the automatic opener and try to open that door manually. And in either case, be sure you don't force it or you could damage the door. Now, if the ice is too thick to open it by hand, you'll need to defrost the door first. You can spray the lock with a de-icer along the bottom of the door. And by the way, WD-40, the miracle product, also works well for that. Or you could pour some lukewarm water along the base and then slide an ice scraper along that bottom sort of to break away any remaining ice. Now, once the door is open, clear away any remaining snow and ice so it doesn't happen again. 888-666-3974. Let's get back to those phones. Beverly in Nebraska's on the line and is looking to do a flooring, I guess, tiling project. Tell us what's going on. Well, I have a brick fireplace that I would like to reface with ceramic tile. Oh, great. It's a fireplace question. Yes. I want to know if, what, if, if I need to do any special steps to prep the brick. I've heard yes and I've heard no. So but I might call somebody that might have a real answer. As long as the brick um, is not dirty or doesn't have like loose paint on it or anything of that nature, uh, I don't think there's a lot of prep involved there. What's going to be really important is that you get a good coat of adhesive underneath it and you can use uh, a tile mastic uh, on top of that brick to attach the tile What size are the to. tiles that you're looking at, Bev, to put over this? Um, 12 by 12, probably. Okay. Tom, is there any concerns with you know, the difference between the brick and the mortar line for unevenness or because the tile is so large, it's No, because you know what? Think about it. When you put tile down, you use a notched trowel, right? So Mm -hmm. you never have a complete 100% contact of the tile with the substrate. So the fact that that there's recessed mortar 
um, on this brick fireplace is not of a concern to me. It's just more of a concern that we get a good, solid coat of adhesive there and that they dry well, they're nice and stable. And really, you want to make sure that you plan this out carefully, Bev. I mean, frankly, it's really small spaces to get that to fit right, to look right, to make sure the corners are done properly. If it's sloppy, you're going to be kicking yourself because it'll be obvious to anybody that looks at this that it wasn't done by a pro. So just make sure it's done really well so that it looks like it was almost intended to be that way the first time the the fireplace and the hearth was envisioned, okay? Okay. Um, One thing I heard about the the brick mortar line sucks up the moisture out of the mastic quicker. Mm. Is that something I need to worry about or just... Nah. Nope. Wouldn't worry about it at all. That makes no sense to me. I mean, look, people put concrete, put tile down on concrete all the time, you have the same issue. Just plan it correctly, Bev, so that you have all the corners line up right, you have the right pieces, the right, you know, the types of tile that you're choosing are the ones that, for example, have closed corners where they wrap around the outside, and make sure it's going to work. You, know, you may you may find that 12 inches too wide for that. It might be easier if you used a smaller tile, because you'd have a little more flexibility. Like maybe a... A six or eight? Like a six, yeah, or an eight. Yep, exactly. Depending on the, the shape. Right, Leslie? Yeah, I mean, it really depends on what look you're going for. And, you know, with a ceramic tile, think about the finish on them. You know, a glazed tile is going to clean better when you get, you know, um, dirt and debris from the smoke in the fireplace itself. But an unglazed one might have a more hearthy, traditional look. So think about, you know, the overall look you're trying to get. And you can also, you know, a 12 by is kind of large. So if you're looking to put a decorative tile, say, as cornerstones, you know, around your mantle or something, you know, think about adding in little detail pieces, and then you can size your tiles accordingly. So does that help you out? Yeah, um, we're just trying to, you know, make it look a little more modern. Yeah, I think that's a definitely a good idea. I think it will look more modern. I think it'll be very attractive. Just take your time, do it once, do it right, and you won't have to do it again. Jim in Tennessee is on the line with a concrete cracking up issue. Tell us what's going on. Yes, I have a concrete driveway that every winter uh, it seems to, the cracks seem to separate. Yep. I've I've used several different things, like uh, cement, but the cement crumbles. Um, Of course it does, Jim, (laughs) because cement is not a good uh, patching material. It doesn't expand and contract. It doesn't stick properly. What you need is an epoxy patching compound. Epoxy compounds are designed specifically to stick to the concrete uh, floor that you have and to not crack and recrack. Anytime you try to use regular cement and fill something in, there's just not enough uh, uh, base there, so to speak, Mm -hmm. and it will continue to open and close and expand and contract and turn into little chunks of, of concrete that will fall out. Oh, great. I had no idea. And it's an easy fix. Take a look at the uh, QuickCrete website. Uh, There's a number of products out there designed specifically for this, but make sure it's a patching compound, and it'll do a much better job. Hey, we love your show. I tell you, you get a lot of good tips on it. Thanks, Jim. You are tuned to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show on air and online at moneypit.com. Well, regardless of what team you are rooting for, one way to score a victory is to watch the Super Bowl on a big, beautiful flat screen TV. Up next, Tom Silva from TV's This Old House will be by with easy installation tips, including how to hide those wires. Next. On the Money Pit Radio Show, pick up the telephone, fix up your home sweet home. Calling 888 Money Pit. 
The Money Pit is brought to you by Isonine. If you're building, remodeling, or re-insulating, demand Isonine spray foam insulation. Isonine fills the spaces other insulations miss for up to 50% energy savings. Learn more and find a dealer at Isonine.com. I-C-Y-N-E-N-E.com. Making good homes better. Welcome back to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show on air and online at MoneyPit.com. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Give us a call right now with your home improvement question, your do-it-yourself dilemma. We are standing by to help you get that next project done. Uh, And here's one project that you don't want to have to get involved in, and that is if you get caught in a snowstorm without a snowblower. Log on to MoneyPit.com and find out how to choose a snowblower for your needs. That's all online at MoneyPit.com. Just search snowblowers, how to choose. Jeff in Tennessee is tackling a flooring project in a bathroom. Tell us what you're working on. Well, I'm um, I'm in a quandary because uh, I've been told I can't do what I want to do, but that, okay. that's not unusual. I've got a vinyl floor in a bathroom, and I want to put down tile, and I wanted to minimize or eliminate the extra work, and I wanted to put the tile over the, the vinyl flooring. Okay. And it's just ceramic tile. Um, it's not a large area. It's got a uh, a vanity and a bath shower combination and a uh, and a toilet. Is it uh, fairly small ceramic tile? Uh, twelve inch. Ooh, twelve inch. Okay, so you need a really solid floor for this, which means you're going to have to put down wonder board or a mud floor because if you try to put this down over the vinyl or or over say Luan plywood or something like that, there will most likely be too much flex in the floor. And tiles don't bend, especially the big, wide 12-inch ones. So your first priority is going to be to pull everything out of that bathroom and put down a solid floor, solid subfloor, and then you can tile on top of that. That's the biggest part of that project. Now, Tom, if I do that, uh, does that mean if I put, I guess some people call that hardy backer board or something right, like that? Right, wonder board or hardy backer, yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, and if I put that down, am I going to have to raise that uh, the toilet in order to accommodate the yeah, but there's an extension that you can put on the flange that will bring that up that inch or so that you'll need. And I guess I'll probably have to look at uh, cutting off the bottom part of the door to accommodate the threshold. Yeah, but that's that. that's easy enough to do. Now, you indicated that, uh, it, and you kind of cringed a little bit when I said 12-inch, would it accommodate smaller tile? Well, I mean, it's a designed question, but when you when you have wide tile like that in a bathroom... Uh, it will tend to crack. You know, the floors get soft and bouncy, especially around the toilet. So it's really critical that it be properly supported. And the trend now is, uh, surprisingly so, to go wider tile. Uh, It used to be that you would, in a small bathroom, you would use a small tile. But now uh, the trend seems to be opposite to that. And they're using a lot more wider tile because it makes Mm -hmm. the room look bigger. I mean, and, and other options as far as tile size in a small space is going with a tile that's more plank size. So it almost looks as if it's, you know, a, a plank of lumber. You know, maybe it's six by 24 and then laying it out brick style as you would, you know, a wood floor. And that can also help make the space feel larger. But again, because of the size of the tile, you have to make sure that that subfloor and that base is very stable and really secure. Because if there is any movement, you know, that tile's going to crack. I just can't get around being lazy. I'm going to have to go the whole route. <laughs> if you want it to last for a long, long time and save you from doing that project again, then yes. 
Thank you so very much. I really enjoy your show and catch it as often as I can. Well, thanks so much for calling us at one eight 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 Money Pit. So you finally got that flat screen TV that you've always wanted, and you've got it hanging right where you want it. That perfect prime spot for viewing right up on your wall. Yes, but what do you now do with all those dangling cords and wires? Tom Silva is the general contractor for TV's This Old House, and he's faced this problem himself and has some tips and tricks to magically make all that mess disappear. Welcome, Tommy. Hi, guys. Nice to be here. Now, uh, this is one of those problems that uh, you really want to... It kind of ruins the whole point of having a flat screen TV. You know, it's very clean, it's very crisp, it's very modern, but then you have this mess of wire. Yeah, but the mess of wire hanging down underneath looks terrible. So what are some ways to hide those cables? Well, there's a couple of ways. Basically, you could punch a hole in the wall uh, right behind the TV and another one down below the uh, table or whatever it's at, right near the outlet, and snake the wire down through there. Down the channel of the wall. But, yeah. But what if it's if a brick have, wall yeah. or something? You can't it's, do that to. Or or if your wife is saying, you absolutely will not be cutting a hole in my wall. <laughs> yeah. That, that, that happened to me, actually. I wasn't allowed to do that. Uh, but anyways, um, yeah, I mean, there are actually chases that you can face or screw to the wall. It's now, what ba- is it? what's a chase? Well, it, you're making a chase, I should have okay. said. It's basically a little channel that you screw or, or even uh, two-face tape to the wall. And then you run your wires into that little chase, and there's a little piece that you can clip right on it to hide the wires. Mm -hmm. And those you can paint right to match your wall color, and they virtually disappear. Yeah, they virtually, you're right. And they're very hard to see because they disappear. Yeah, they do. I mean, another thing that I've seen done, if you're lucky enough to have a closet on the backside, is, you know, you can run your components through to that backside closet. However, your remote control then doesn't operate as effectively as you would have liked. No, you have to get one of those little things, the wires that you've glued to the TV right onto the remote sensor, and then that will uh, pick it up there. But Because again, that's, that's one of the an, wires that hangs it's a, out. It's another wire. But, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you actually had a creative uh, solution for this involving a threshold that I saw that you gave a reader of uh, thisoldhouse.com. Yeah, I basically had a threshold that I basically uh, put a channel in it. Now, a threshold is for a door, typically, right? Yeah. Well, we we use, we, like I said earlier, I'm a Yankee. I, I, whatever, <laughs> I do it everywhere. Whatever I can get off the shelf, I, right. will, I will use. But yeah, basically a, a, an oak threshold, I think it was, and I put a a channel in the back of it or a dado and uh, hide the wires with that. You can actually make or you can take it. If you have a table saw, you can take uh, any piece of wood and and miter the three pieces and make your own without Mm -hmm. a dado blade. Now, any tips for running those wires safely once you've actually decided what your cord management system is going to be? Uh, well, you want to make sure that you don't have the electrical wires it's, uh, right next to or against the uh, wire that's bringing all the data to because sometimes you can get an interference with that, so you okay. have to be careful of that. So you want to try to separate them so you don't want to have the uh, the pieces, you don't want to have that channel too wide. Right. If it's getting it into a wall cavity, that's another thing. You don't have to worry about it that much. You also want to make so that you leave enough slack in the line so that if you have to turn the TV, you don't pull the thing mm-hmm. out. And right. you got to say, why isn't it working? You know, And you got to take the TV off the wall in some cases just to get to it. Uh, and you want to make sure that nothing is rubbing. 
you don't want to wear a wire. So if the TV gets moved a lot or a, or a table or something gets moved into those wires, you don't want them to rub. And a little trick of the trade from the radio business, label both ends yeah. of your cable. Yes, yes. And another thing that's very important, don't lay them underneath a rug. Oh, yeah. Because you're going to step on that rug, you're walking on that rug, and believe it or not, you're wearing on those wires, and you get electrocuted. Cause a fire. Cause yeah. a fire. Yeah. yeah. Good advice. Tom Silva from TV's This Old House. Thanks so much for stopping by the Money Pit. My pleasure. We'll be thinking of you the next time we watch the big game on the flat screen TV. Because <laughs> we'll watch the game and not the wires. There you go. All right. You can catch the current season of This Old House and Ask This Old House on PBS for your local listing, some great step by step videos and of course informative articles on this project and others you can visit thisoldhouse.com and this old house and ask this old house are brought to you by home depot home depot more savings more doing still ahead has winter wind wreaked havoc on your vinyl siding we'll have easy steps for maintenance and repair next you live in a body pit The Money Pit is brought to you by ODL's Add-On Blinds. Enclosed behind tempered glass, they eliminate the need for dusting and exposed cords, both problems with traditional blinds. Plus, they easily install over your existing entry glass. Visit www.odl.com to learn more. Making good homes better. Welcome back to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. And you should give us a call at 888-MONEY-PIT because we're giving out home improvement advice, of course, But we've got up for grabs to one lucky caller this hour, a one-touch fixed digital shower head from Lavaqua. Besides turning your shower into a spa, it actually lets you pause your shower and even set a timer on it, too, which all adds up to water savings. So give us a call at 888-MONEY-PIT for us to give you a hand and for a chance to win that great prize. Well, more than any other exterior element, siding makes a big visual impact for your house. And vinyl siding is probably the most popular siding in the country, mostly because it's durable, it's inexpensive, and it requires very little maintenance. That's right. Even though it's not often, vinyl siding will occasionally need some fixing. Now, pieces can become loose from a storm and then they start to peel back. And this isn't a hard fix. You just need to pick up a tool called a zipper. Yeah, the tool actually works by locking the pieces back together as you slide it along, just like a zipper. And this makes it easy to snap a piece of loose siding back in place. It saves you time and money. And it also makes sure that siding won't loosen up further, leading to leaks inside your house where that could cause structural damage. So just pick up a zipper tool and you'll be done with that project in a flash. 888-666-3974 is the telephone number. Pick up the phone. Give us a call right now with your home improvement question. All right. Our next caller is a Facebook fan of the Money Pit, and he's calling in from Wisconsin. We've got Antoine on the line who's got a pellet stove question. How can we help you? My house is about 1,000 square foot, and uh, I want to put in a pellet stove. Okay. And uh, I was wondering what would be the best location and the best way to ventilate it. Okay, good question. Now, first of all, hooray for the choice of a pellet stove. A very green energy choice. Lots of options. Uh, Pellet stoves are affordable. The fuel's affordable. Um, They work 
very, very well. You fill them up and literally can walk away from them. Um, they, they, since it's not tied into a central heating system, you want it to be centrally located so you get the best amount of heat distribution outside of it. Very, very important that you follow the National Fire Safety Protection uh, Organization standards for installation of that because they do get very, very hot. How you install it, um, it depends on where you're putting it. For example, the average wood stove needs about three feet of space uh, behind it to combustibles. However, if you build a heat shield, then you can move it closer. I've seen them as close as 12 inches if they're installed with with uh, heat shields, which basically create sort of a wall that's vented that the heat can sort of pass over and the air can pass over and it can remain cool. Um, going up to the attic, same situation. You typically use a triple wall pipe, triple wall vent pipe to take that hot gas out. And again, it has to be installed correctly. So it's not the kind of project that I would recommend that you do if you've never installed one before because of the specialty knowledge you need to make sure it's done safely, Antoine. So if you want to shop it, buy it, get it in the store, get it in the house, that's great. But I would definitely consider having a, a contractor that's built these before do the actual installation for you. I would also make sure that you have the local fire marshal inspect the installation uh, for you to make sure that it's done correctly. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit and for liking the Money Pit page on Facebook, which is at facebook.com slash the Money Pit. And by the way, if you would head on over to facebook.com slash the Money Pit and like our page, you could also get priority access to the radio show as we produce it. You are tuned to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show on air and online at moneypit.com. Prefab homes, they're usually less expensive, but are there drawbacks when you choose to own one? We'll tell you all about that after this. The Money Pit is presented by HomeTalk.com. Join Tom and Leslie on HomeTalk.com and log on to become part of the community of folks who love taking care of their homes at HomeTalk.com. Making good homes better. Welcome back to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. And you know, in the past decade, mold has become one of the most dangerous toxins found in homes. MoneyPit.com can help, though. We can help keep your home mold-free. Just search mold-free home at MoneyPit.com for advice from which building materials are mold-resistant to mold-killing ventilation. That's all online. Just search mold-free home at MoneyPit.com. That's right. And you can head on over to Money Pit's community section and post your question. I've got one here from Kay who writes, I'm considering buying a home in a neighborhood that has mainly prefab houses. Are there any drawbacks to owning modular? Oh, God, there's absolutely no drawbacks to owning modular. In fact, Kay, it's not that prefab is a bad thing in this particular case, because prefab means that these homes are built in factories where they really, truly control the quality. And so you have consistency in terms of the accuracy of the cuts, the assembly, the lumber is not too wet or too dry, so it's very stable. A prefab home today can be a really excellent value. Plus, 
because it's prefab, it goes up very, very quickly. It's not exposed to the weather on site. And I think it's just a really good option all the way around. So I've got uh, nothing but praises for prefabricated houses. Yeah. And you know what? In our neighborhood, which is mostly homes that are 100 years old, we do have a handful of prefab homes and you can't tell the difference. I mean, they're beautifully made. So I say buy it and enjoy it. All right. Next up, I've got a post from Laura who wrote, interesting problem. I can get hot water out of my bathtub faucet if I'm taking a bath, but I have no hot water out of my shower head. I've got water pressure, just water that's not hot. Any ideas about this problem? Yep, got a problem with the shower diverter. It's not doing its job of getting that hot water up. So minor plumbing fix there, Laura. Interesting problem, but very simple, simple solution. All right, now we've got a post from SRC who writes, what are the limits of my garbage disposer in the kitchen sink? When I was growing up, I got used to cleaning plates by throwing everything in the trash before putting the dishes in the sink to be washed. Every now and then, I still cling to my old habits and I cringe every time somebody dumps food down the kitchen drain. Am I worrying for nothing? Well, unless you've clogged the disposer, I'd say you are worried about nothing. For the most part, disposers can handle pretty much any kind of food waste that you put down them. You don't want to put something like, um, say, peels from the shrimp or anything that's really fatty because the shrimp peels tend to like sort of mash up and jam up and clog up your sinks. The fat can obviously clog the drains. But for the most part, you can put pretty much anything down there. And even in some cases, you can even use small bones. Some of these disposers are so strong today that you can put bones in them. And the real new ones even have sort of clog reversing mechanisms. So if something gets stuck in there, it kind of reverses and sort of shakes the clog free. So you really should have no fear about putting it down the disposer. If it grinds it up and it, and it washes away, then there's really nothing further to be concerned about. And by the way, here's a myth of disposers, Leslie. In the 20 years I spent as a professional home inspector, people used to think you always have to run water to run your disposer. You don't. Mm-hmm. You have to run water only if you want to move the waste down. But the disposer doesn't need the water to sort of stay cool or anything of that nature. Right. It's all sealed bearing system. So as long as the water uh, moves the food down, that's the only reason to run it. It doesn't have to be run to turn the disposer actually on. But I'm of the same mindset, having never owned one. I mean, I've been in friends' apartments who have them, and they're like, put it down the drain, put it down the drain. And I know what can go down there. It still kind of weirds me out. I think I'd be afraid to use it. But it's just because I've never had one. Right. But once you own a disposer, you will never, ever want to have a house that doesn't have one because you can pretty much put everything down there. Well, and imagine the less amount of trash you'll have every day. Well, exactly. And if you ever have one that jams up and actually gets stuck or seized, there's a reset button underneath the motor, which you could see kind of you get upside down and look at mm-hmm. the cabinet. If you just hit that reset button, it'll start up again. Yeah, that's a good trick that people never know about. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show on air and online at moneypit.com. Thank you so much for spending this hour with us. You may now all take a break from your home improvement projects and prepare your home for the big game, which is just upon us this weekend. Hope that you enjoy it. Hope that your team comes out on top. I know that uh, Leslie and I will be rooting right there with you. I'm Tom Kreitler. Yeah, I'm rooting for wings. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm Leslie Segretti. Remember, you can do it yourself. But you don't have to do it alone. Live in a body pit.